Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harshberger, President of Measurable Results LLC and martinharshberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest in our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Uh, welcome to uh, Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs podcast. I'm Martin Harsberger, the host. And today I'm with Camille Core Chisholm, the owner of uh, Indigo Packaging and Consulting. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much uh, for having me, Martin. I appreciate it. Uh, tell me a little bit about your company. Sure. I started my packaging consulting firm a few years back. Um, I help companies, small companies that are looking to, you know, start, they're starting their business, but they really want to have a packaging identity and presence, and they're not sure what direction to go. And I can help them through, you know, designing, concepting, sourcing. I can even sell packaging to them. Medium and large size companies in general, they are looking more for help with um, cost savings or damage improvements, or maybe they have a project that they don't have the bandwidth for on with their current staff. So they need to bring someone in, you know, for specific projects to work with packaging. When you say design packaging, I mean, I've got a little history with packaging myself up from a damage standpoint. I ran a uh, value add logistics company in Memphis uh, with FedEx and uh, uh, damage was a, was a major concern. Do you get involved with, with design and uh, trying to protect packaging, cold chain, anything like that? Yes, I do. So um, just give you some background. You know, I've worked in packaging for over 30 years. And part of my time working in packaging, I worked for UPS. So, you know, small parcel shipment. And my job, a large portion of my job was to work with the companies that were we were seeing a lot of damage with. And it was just the beginning of e-commerce. So people were used to just pulling, they were shipping full pallet loads. So the box was so strong an elephant could stand on it and it wouldn't break. But in the small parcel environment, you know, now it's getting pushed from the side. So if you take that same box, turn it sideways, it's going to get crushed and it's not going to make it. So part of my job was to educate the consumers because people were used to taking a box off a pallet and then just shipping it. And they couldn't understand, you know, why it wasn't performing in the same way when they did all this rigorous testing. So I do get involved with that. Um, you know, with smaller companies, you get companies that they are subscription boxes are really popular right now. So, you know, with subscription boxes, they're going to be shipping FedEx or UPS, some small parcel type of shipment or the post office. So you want to make sure that the customer gets the packaging right when they get it so that they're not concerned about look at that box and is my product damaged um, sometimes the product won't be damaged but the box will be mangled because it takes all of that you know it take it takes the licking for the for the product so the product does look good but you know what customer wants that so 
when they receive it at home. So yes, I can help with that. I know, you know, what some of the hazards are and I can tell them, you know, these are some of the things you would need to change in your design, whether it's material, whether it's style, whether it's, you know, what sort of um, interior dunnage or cushion or, or whatever you put into it. Um, you know, a lot of customers right now, the focus is sustainability. So, you know, I'll give them ideas and options on sustainable type of materials um, based on what their definition of sustainability is. Okay, that's great. Uh, one of the problems, one of the companies I ran years ago uh, was an HVAC manufacturing company. And we built furniture grade cooling units and uh, shelving for classrooms. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems I had is I couldn't ship it. I mean, literally, there's nothing I could do to ship it. Uh, we put it on, we put it in wooden crates, we put it in everything. And if it went tr- full truckload, we were fine. If it went LTL, where they cross docked it, it got destroyed. So, I mean, do you get to that level of packaging as well, where you, where you take the, or you stick with small parcels? Yes, um, large as well, because, you know, many times I've, I've worked for, you know, some of some of the most of the medium sized companies that I work with are industrial based companies. And especially when you're you're shipping LTL, it's 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 a hybrid of shipping a full pallet load and shipping small parcel because with LTL, they're trying to mix everything in and you don't know what, it, what they're going to have on stop one, stop two, stop five. You, they really, you really don't know what else is coming. Um, an example would be one of the most common things I see is people put the cone on top of the crate or the box. Say, don't, you know, don't stack on this, but think about it. If this product's inside of a truck, and the truck is dark. The fork truck driver, he doesn't see what's in front of him. He will go and stack whatever he can if fit, you know, he says the dead space in the truck. And he doesn't even see that cone. The cone will get crushed. Um yeah, he puts it on there anyway. <laughs> yeah. The truck, the truck. I mean, that, that's that's the, yes. Like, yes. And and many times he doesn't even see it. So, and if he does see it, it's like, well. I, I got to put everything on this truck. Everything on this truck needs to fit. So you're right. They're, they, the fork truck drivers are, they have many challenges with that, you know, that they have to meet their numbers, but then, you know, they don't know what's going to get crushed. Um, also too, some of the things I would look at is, you know, how to, if it's a tall, narrow product. So if it's an HVAC product, if it's a unit, is it tall and narrow? Because if it's tall and narrow, it, gravity is going to want to bring it flat. You know, the center of gravity is going to bring it down. So I, I look at those sorts of things and those are the sorts of things that I design for. Like, can it ship on its side? You know, and it, it will it get damaged if it lays down um, just by laying down, you know, because years ago I did um, server, computer server packaging. I worked for a company and that's what we did. And these servers were about the size of, the fr- of a refrigerator. If you tip this server when it was configured with all the electronics inside of it, if you tipped it more than say 15 degrees, you could damage some of the components inside of that server. So, yeah, it was, it was, so you had to make sure, you know, those would ship many times LTL. They were, like I said, about the size of the refrigerator and they couldn't tip. So even going over an elevator bump could be a challenge. So if you're going in and out of a freight elevator and there's a gap or a bump, you know, or, or going down a ramp, you know, you have to look at all those things. So, so those are the things that I would look at to see, you know, how does it from the beginning all the way to the end kind of walk through that process in my mind, 
get pictures if I can, see how it's being handled, understand, you know, what kind of trucks it's shipping on, how, what else is on that truck? Um, is it a short journey or is it a long journey? Uh, that is something to consider. But one of the things that you sometimes you see, the truck leaving the building could hit a curb and that could be enough to damage whatever is in the truck. Yeah. So, you know, being aware of, you know, what the, what the hazards are. So I can, well, I can I, you mentioned uh, the advent of uh, online shopping. Uh, mm-hmm. You're right. The small packages are picked up dramatically. Have you, have you ever been through a hub uh, tour at night? Uh, when I went through several of them uh, late at night and you see what happens to those packages. I mean, those belts are moving like 30 miles an hour. And they're dumping off onto the, uh, on the conveyors are getting punched by, by, uh, code readers i mean it's it's pretty interesting it's amazing yeah. what they do, but, but the packaging is a, is a it's a it's an integral part of it no question about it yes it really is and yet yeah, the, the hubs at night i mean that is when they are alive you know during the day if you go into a hub during the day it's empty because all the trucks are out and they're delivering during the day so all those transfers happen at night and you're right, they, they have, you know, millions of packages that they're shipping. Um, you know, even during the pandemic, there were stories about different hubs, whether it's UPS, FedEx, or post office, they were filled with tens of thousands of packages, but they were shut down. So, you know, people weren't getting in mail too, just flat out mail. People weren't getting it because it was just, you know, getting just stacking up in the hubs. And then once they get back into business, now, you know, they've got to work really, really fast and the machine full speed. I can imagine one night back up in a hub would be amazing. How'd you get into doing this, what you're doing today? So um, my, my love, my first love was art. I wanted to be an artist. My father was an engineer and he said something to the effect of who's paying for art school. So when I went to school, when I went to Michigan State, I was, you know, taking art classes, but I also took like the math and the physics and the chemistry and and biology. I took those courses as well. So I stayed taking, I took the STEM. So I was kind of in the STEAM program before I knew it. And I would just ask my friends, you know, tell me about a class that you took that was interesting. And someone said packaging. I'm like, pack of what? So I took this class and I thought, this is really, really interesting. You know, packaging's everywhere. You know, you don't really think about it, but everywhere you look, everything that you have came in a package, right? And I started talking to, you know, the advisor and found out, you know, the class that was like already in the program. Like I just organically just by intuition, you know, took the classes that I needed and I took the packaging courses. I loved the rest of them and I interned and I loved that. And I haven't looked back. Oh, that's awesome. It really is. I mean, packaging is kind of an afterthought, but it really isn't. It's critical, but most people don't know that. I know yeah. my, my company, my value at logistics company, I bought a, a subsidiary in Frankfurt, Germany, and I, I did an acquisition over there. And packaging over there is a totally different game. I mean, you can't throw it away. It comes back to the factory. We have to we have to dispose of it. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot less ground and land in Germany to throw things away. Uh, so a lot of it either has to be reusable or a way to get rid of it environmentally friendly, I guess, is a way. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of science to it, for sure. 
Yes. And, you know, I think one of the things I've learned about packaging, I learned this early on, is that as a packaging person, your job is to protect the package, display the package, highlight the package, whatever, or I'm, so, I'm sorry, you should highlight the package to highlight the product and, and keep it safe and protect it. But no one's supposed to notice the package, right? If you notice the package, it's because there's damage or it, it looks, it doesn't fit what that product is. It's not a good match. So it, it usually sticks out when something's wrong. So your, your job is to make that package and the product seamless. Um, but sometimes that means that people think packaging is not necessary. You know, I've been in several departments where they're like, oh, we don't need packaging. You know, people always say when there's a layoff, packaging is one of the first things they cut. But it's some companies you'll see, if you look at a history of packaging at, a, at particular companies, you'll see they have a packaging team. They start off with one person and then next thing you know, they explode to three or five people. And then all of a sudden, you know, they when things get bad, it's cyclical. That packaging team shrinks or disappears and then it grows back again as the economy grows because they realize, well, we, we really needed that function. And then, you know, you get new leadership and the leadership's like, well, where can we save money? Well, packaging, we don't need that. So there, there can be ebbs and flows depending on the company and the philosophy and the leadership, most definitely. You a good point. You're a consultant as well. Um, just a question I had thinking of my own practice. When, when, you get, when you see that opportunity, when they do that turnover, uh, where, the, where skilled people are out the door and they start over again, do you see the cost variance in packaging? Do you, are you, does your consulting practice point that out that maybe that wasn't a good idea because you wind up actually spending more money and more damage and more waste and, and that kind of thing when you're turning the place over? Yes, but you, you have to be very diplomatic about it because many times people, I've found that, you know, the packaging that they have, it usually, um, if the, you see that situation, sometimes the person that, that designed that packaging or worked to bring that packaging and they have a lot of pride in it. Um, so they're pretty invested in, and they may not want to switch. Um, even like I said, I have many packaging lives. I used to sell packaging. And when I would go to the companies that work with specific packaging companies, I would know all I'd have to do is offer them the same exact package at market price. And they would give the business over to me because whoever they were using was charging a lot because, they figured, okay, this company, they don't have a packaging team or packaging person, and they're going to rely on my expertise. I'm going to charge them even more. So, you know, you can you can charge for your expertise, but you still want to stay within that, that market range so that they don't just switch over. Because if they don't have a team, sometimes they're thinking, well, it's just a box. I can get a box anywhere. So, you know, you want to make sure that they understand that you are giving them some extra expertise, whether you're selling the package or whether you're designing it or just helping them with their strategic plan for packaging. Um, but there are definitely times when they can save a lot of money. Um, I had one client that I was working with and I saw they could save an amazing amount just by switching their pallets over. The pallet supplier obviously would lose a large commission from it. So there was some pushback from the pallet supplier. The pallet supplier started talking to purchasing and telling purchasing, you know, why they were so important and so needed. 
you know, so there was some back and forth on that. But yeah, that definitely, definitely happens. There's a lot of opportunity for saving that. And it, it, it's, a, it's a product that it's critical to, to the success of the core product, but it's looked at as an extra cost. It's not, it's not appreciated, I guess, is a good way to put it. And I appreciated it because I had so much damage with it, so it was a it was an issue that way. But uh, it's 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 a, it's a science in itself, really. It's interesting you're doing that. Where's your business currently with the COVID and coming back out of COVID? If we're coming out, I don't know what we're doing exactly, but uh. yeah. So um, so when COVID hit, I, I will tell you on Friday, March the thirteenth, that I've never been a superstitious person. My grandmother. One of my grandmothers was born in 1899. And, she, you know, when it would we'd get thunder and lightning, she would like light candles and she's very superstitious. So I'm like, OK, she was born in like the 19th century. So I get that. But anyway, Friday, March the 13th, all I was in an airport. Now, all I got were calls, emails and texts like we need to hold off. We need to put this on hold. We need to wait. So things got pretty quiet. Um, things are picking back up, most definitely. Um, because I am in Michigan and Detroit, you know, one of the things that I focus on is automotive packaging just by geography and, um, things are coming up, but there has been even more of a delay with automotive between the resin shortage that happened out of the, from the, the freeze in Texas so it takes months to ramp back up, you know, so a lot of the parts are injection molded. So, you know, that delayed some things. And then the chip shortage also, you know, it's kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, it's kind of slowed down um, some things. But, you know, I, I do I get a lot of inquiries. I do stay busy. Um, so it's not it's not back up to pre-COVID, but it's getting there. Yeah, I think everything's coming that way. It's slow and tentative. People are walking a little tentative to see where. Where they're going to go before they wrap yes. up? Yes. Is the chip shortage over? Uh, we have that solved. Or? Um, I th- I think that it it's I, I haven't followed it really really closely because just knowing how many C containers got um, basically stuck in the U.S. So they a lot of things were shipping from overseas and they got stuck in the U.S. and there are still. Uh, more shipping shipping sea containers that are sitting at ports or on the ocean than normally would be. So things are still delayed, whether it's food or chips or anything like that. Um, I haven't heard about people not being able to get equipment, um, but I do know that at the end of last year, I ordered a computer, had some issues with it, had to ship it back. And when I reordered from an, actually from a different company, I noticed that the type of chips they had, because this was April by this time, you know, I was limited to the systems I could get based on the chips. Um, but it is starting to come back. I think that um, just because of the slowdown of, you know, people buying, people are still purchasing, obviously, but I think that they were able to kind of try to balance that out. And I think we're seeing ship shortages still in some of the vehicles. You know, some of the vehicles are definitely seeing shortages. And I think that where I see many of the shortages are in um, like gaming, you know, equipment more than anything. So I think that they moved 
the chips to areas like, you know, the computers that people, you know, use on a daily basis. Gaming is seen as is more of a luxury, I would say. Some people see it as a necessity, but it's more of a luxury. And I do know that automotive, when automotive stopped, they just stopped ordering chips and they lost their place in line. So when they were ready to order back and ramp back up again, they lost their place in line. And, you know, automotive has traditionally been like, you know, I I told you to jump and you're like, was that high enough? But there are now other industries that have just as much leverage and buying power. So I think that is, that was the biggest impact was that they, they lost their place in line. They thought they could move back to whatever their regular places in line and they didn't. So that that's what slowed them down. That's where I really saw the impact was automotive. And we got to drive past the four dealers, a couple of miles from my place and there's no trucks. There's no mm-hmm. trucks on a lot, you know, and it's because they're sitting somewhere eating on chips. So, yeah, there, there's, the there's plenty of trucks and lots here. Pardon me? What, what's the biggest problem you solve for customers? What would you say your your primary differentiator is? Ooh, that's a really good question um, because I tried to segment by market type. Um, I'd say for the larger companies, it's saving money. For the medium-sized companies that maybe don't have the expertise or don't have the bandwidth, it's, you know, my, my broad knowledge. Um, I can pull knowledge from multiple industries and say, you know, try this you know, this should work or just being able to look at packaging and say, this is going to probably get damaged in shipment, you know, just having that knowledge and being able to, you know, cut things off at the past before they send out a package that doesn't work. And then for the smaller companies um, that, and like I said, the startups, some startups aren't really small anymore, but you know, helping them look at how do you how do you define sustainability because that's the biggest thing right now for a lot of the subscription boxes, and a lot of the companies right now that are or people are ordering you know by e-commerce or they aren't going in the stores anymore. Um, helping them understand you know what is sustainability so they have a sustainability pledge. Um, there's not always clarity on what is really sustainable. You know, right now everything is compostable everything has to be compostable it is it going to really be composted and is it more important for you to say it's compostable or do you also want to create a system where your products actually do go through what end of life process you want it to go through i'd say those are my differentiators where do you think industry is going with packaging well, you just answered that probably sustainable. Uh, you know that. Again. I, I see sustainability, but one of the things that I really see is going to be more with like tracking. I believe because the amount of information that you can put on whether it's you know barcodes, two D codes. Um, you know, tracking devices that you could put in related to not just the package, but the product, the location, the, you know, expiration, how long it's been, where it's been, what environment has it been in. I think that um, especially after COVID, it's going to really, we're seeing some, some explosion and exploration of that. So, you know, an example would be, as we talk about sustainability, I think that is something I've seen people talk about. So 
if you're able to track your package, you can see how much of your product is actually going to the landfill or is going to a compost facility or is being upcycled or is getting recycled. If you have some tracking device or ability to track your packaging, you can't actually see where it's going. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so I see that. And then just with, you know, COVID initially people were saying, you know, sanitize your packaging and we're seeing frozen food that's, COVID positive and, and those sorts of things, you know, if, then they're saying we'll have another pandemic. So I'll just say, I won't say if, but, you know, when we have another event like this, having the ability to track the packaging would be valuable because you can see, okay, if there's an outbreak in, you know, like they had said they had outbreaks in meat plants, for example, then now you can, you know, quarantine that product if you need to disposition it or sanitize it, or if it just, you know, hold it for so many days until whatever it is dies out, you know, whatever treatments need it, then, you know, you'll be able to do that. But just with the amount of data that people are processing with data analytics, pack, putting it, being able to put something on the packaging that can help people gather that information, um, it will help with, you know, sale. People are already doing some of that with sales where you see, you know, codes, people can scan codes to get in from more information. That's the beginning of it. But being able to tie that into, you know, your customer number, if you have a loyalty card, for example, or loyalty number for a particular store, you know, they're already using that packaging to scan it and understand what you buy. You know, I, I buy, let's say, things from Target online during the pandemic. And as soon as I ordered, I started to start giving me other ideas. You know, this yeah. is what you ordered before. Do you want this flavor? These are your favorites. Um, but when you're in the store, they're using the packaging to scan, to put that information into your data analytics. Yeah, they're watching everything we do with purchases. It, improve, it improves your per- purchase experience. <laughs> All I have to do is do a search. And you know, for the next two weeks, I'll get things. Hey, look at this. How'd you know that? Yes, um, I, had a, I had a conversation with someone the other day and it was something very obscure. And I go back and I check my email and it's like telling me, you know, where I can buy this. And I'm like, that's really just we having a conversation. I have my phone with me. It's you don't have to look in a site where you're buying it. I have to just Google yeah. something and say, well, tell me about this product. The next thing you know, they're telling you, here's yes. where you can buy it, right? Yeah, someone for driving around and shopping. You don't have to do that anymore. No. Yes. When you started out, what, what piece of advice would you give yourself today when you started out that would make your trip a little easier? So one of the things that my father said, he said, get as much education as you can, as early as you can. So I think I probably would have gone right back to get my master's. And whether it's packaging or MBA, I'm not sure. My dad had an engineering degree, and then he went back and got an MBA to go with his his mechanical engineering degree. So that would be one thing. Instead of waiting for a decade or whatever, I would have gone right through to get that. Um, Another piece of advice would be um, to make sure that I had a mentor and a sponsor at work to help along. Um, because you can work really hard. And sometimes someone told me this really early in my career and and it always stood out and I didn't quite understand it, but I understand it more now. But he said, I hire 
I like to hire women. And I said, why is that? And I'm like, oh, here we go. He said, because women, he basically said women have gone through more to get where they are. And this was, I'm going to date myself, but I'll say this was the late eighties. Right. And he said, you know, women feel like they have more to prove and they work harder. And I didn't take it that he was slamming males, but he was just recognizing that at that point, you know, even if he didn't, um, you know, looking back, he somehow instinctually recognized that there was some disparity and that if a woman was in a technical field, that she was really dedicated and pushed through. So he was looking for dedicated people. So, you know, yeah. So that's something I learned, but I also didn't realize too, that sometimes you, you can be in, and I see this not happen to me and I've seen it happen. I've, I have seen it happen to other friends, it happened to other friends where they are working like crazy. They have all these projects and they're, they're busy and people come to them and like, you're, you're happy to be the go-to person. People trust you and they, they're confident in your work. But then when you look around, some other people may not be as busy. And meanwhile, you're like tearing out your hair and you're tired and then you go home and you're trying to do everything else and you're trying to, you know, have a full life. But then when you leave that company and you keep in touch with your friends, you you find out they hire two, three or even five people to fill your spot. And I'm like, so that's something I would have liked to have known earlier that, you know, you kind of have to have boundaries and limits. And even if you're doing a great job you know, it's good to focus on you and be your best you, but you also want to make sure that you don't get taken advantage of. Well, you have to have a person that's like too. I mean, there's a trade off a balance, right? Yes. Yes. And I always felt like I had a balance, you know, I didn't feel like I missed out on anything. I didn't feel like, you know, family members weren't, you know, able to get what they needed. I made, you know, games and events and, you know, ceremonies and I did all that and I traveled I took vacations I had friends you know I always had a full life but I'm like probably could have been even fuller less stress you know and and too what I've seen is the 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 people that are the workhorses they don't always get promoted because the company feels like oh that department we can't afford to promote that person because now we're gonna fire for hire two three or five people to get that work done become their own their own competition. It's exactly right. I yeah. worked a corporation years ago. I've been on my own since the late eighties. So I ran two companies in consulting. So I I never go back to corporate fire. Well, too old now anyway. But it's a different world. Listen, thanks for coming on. How can people get in touch with you if they want to talk? So you can always you can find me on LinkedIn, Camille Core Chisholm. Um, you can also email me. My email address is Camille at indigopkg.com. That is C-A-M-I-L-L-E at I-N-D-I-G-O-P-K-G.com. Those are the, probably the best ways to reach me. Um, it would either be on LinkedIn or email me, or you can go to my website, which is of www.indigopkg.com. So those are the best ways to reach me. Okay, good. Melissa, I appreciate your time. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain, would like to be part of the program, please visit 
www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harshberger or through my website, www.martinharshberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.